Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR executive and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So Sherry, you and I have been kicking around this idea of authenticity here for a couple of months. We've had some amazing guests who have really introduced the topic of how we bring our authentic selves. And we came across this quote, you know, be yourself. Everyone else is taken from Oscar Wilde. It also happens to be the title of one of Mike Robbins books. But since we've heard so much about it from so many of our guests, I just thought it would be a great one to talk about today. So when you think about authenticity, how do you define it? What do you think it is? So the first thing that comes to mind for me when I think about authenticity is to do some version of pretending to be someone you're not. Mm. And that can be in really subtle ways, that can be in less subtle ways, but it's really about not allowing yourself to fully show up as the person you really are. And we end up just not bringing all of ourselves. Yeah. It's hard though, right? Because there's there's times when that just feels so... I don't know, scary in a way, right? Like not really being able to bring myself is a little bit of a defense mechanism at times. Yeah, for sure. So the thing about authenticity is it's very connected to vulnerability and it's Mm. very distinct from vulnerability. Mm. You know, if you think about them as two concentric circles, there's a pretty big area where the two circles overlap because being authentic is absolutely an act of vulnerability. But there are other parts to it as well. It's not all of it. So we all put on masks to some degree. And the context that we might find ourselves in requires us to adjust how we show up or adjust our behavior. But there's a line that you're really no longer truly being who you are. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if if it is required, as you said, or is it that we put that on ourselves, right? Like I have to show up and and look a certain way or act a certain way, or I think of myself and there's been times in my career when I, I would say I was having some imposter syndrome, right? And we talked about this in a previous episode, I think an episode about vulnerability, but you know, I, I had a I had kind of this big job at a fancy company that you know, there was other things going on in my life, which again, we've talked about before, but I just remember thinking, I have fooled them all. Like they have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I, you know, it's almost like I, I put on almost a suit of armor. I, I acted in ways I thought somebody in my position should act. I, you know, did not bring my whole and authentic self because I just, I thought they won't want me. They won't like me if that's what I actually end up doing. So it's tricky. It is very, very tricky. And imposter syndrome, especially for women, plays a really big role in this. Of uh, If I don't really believe that I'm qualified or if I don't really believe that I have any business being in this job, then in my mind, I have no choice but to act as if I do, which is going to make me feel like I'm not really being me, right? I'm going to try to act the way I think I'm supposed to act or the way I think someone who is qualified is going to act. You know, it reminds me of many years ago, I had a client who was promoted into a very senior role and the person who had been in the job before her, she had worked for and really respected and really liked. And she had such a case of imposter syndrome Mm. and she was replacing a man in the role. 
And she very explicitly said, well, I think basically I just need to be Bill in a skirt. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. She was so stressed out. And it didn't really matter that I was saying to her, you've worked there a long time. They know you're not Bill in a skirt and they wouldn't have promoted you into this role. If they wanted Bill, Bill would still be in that job. And it took her months and months and months before she was able to start to slowly relax into, well, here's a piece that this isn't how I would do it, Mm. right? And here's a piece where I do have a higher EQ than Bill had, and it's okay for me to use it. But it was such a stark example of, I can't possibly be me. I have to be Bill just wearing a skirt. Right. God, how painful. That sounds terrible. I mean, I, I think in my case, it was less, I need to be somebody else. It was, it was a little almost deeper in some ways. It was just like, they won't like me if they, if they knew who I really, really, truly was. And so the, the problem with your client, with me, with other folks is when we don't actually let ourselves show up as our true and whole selves, we don't bring all the greatness. We don't bring the things that frankly are the reasons we got put into the job or into the situation or into whatever we're doing, because just like putting on a putting on a skirt, putting on a suit, putting on something that doesn't fit, right? And so we're constrained or it's too big or we're tripping over ourselves in some way because, I mean, like just like we started with the be yourself, everyone else is taken. When I'm trying to be somebody else, I am a really poor imitation of somebody else. Your client was a poor imitation of Bill. Absolutely. And what the world or her company, my company is kind of missing is, is who I really am. Now, you know, we're we're making it sound like it's pretty simple. Oh, just show up as who you truly are. It's a little trickier than that. But I'm curious sort of how we even get here. Like, why do we get stuck in this? What what are the things that are driving us to act in this way? So it's a complicated question, right? It's a complicated answer. And we get stuck because of stories and beliefs we carry. And we Mm. carry these stories and beliefs that come to us from so many places. It's our families of origin. It's what we explicitly know are other people's expectations and what we make up about other people's expectations. It's right. right society writ large. It's organizational structure. It's prior experiences that we've had. Yeah. It's the, I know I do, I know you do. I'm sure all our listeners have that moment at some point in their lives, sometimes really young, where you got slapped down for being yourself. And you're like, okay, I'm never, I'm never doing that again. I'm never showing up like that again. And so it's all of those things. You know, what's interesting about a lot of what you just said, and I hadn't thought about it in this way before is there's so much in this about fear. So sure, our family of origin and, and the reality of the organizational structure has a piece of it. But so much of what you just said really is grounded in I'm afraid right? So what if I'm the single mom that all I'm trying to do is put food on the table and I can't afford to lose this job. And so I'm going to morph myself into what somebody else expects me to be because I'm scared. And a lot of what you just said, expectations in society and what the organization thinks we should be, it, it sounds like a lot of fear to me. What do you think? I do. I think there there is a lot of fear because otherwise, to the extent we know ourselves, which is a whole separate conversation, but to the extent we really do know ourselves, if we weren't afraid of being authentic, we'd be authentic, even if we Mm. aren't consciously experiencing fear about it. The other thing I do want to say is everything has to be looked at in context. So I'm just sitting here thinking, I started my career in public accounting, Mm -hmm. and this was 
quite a long time ago when public accounting firms were very conservative in dress, right? And so mm. you didn't know me back in my cute little suits with my cute little silk fluffy ties. And and wow. so, right, I know, <laughs> I know it's kind of a shocking <laughs> image, but it is how all the women dressed. And there were a few women or a few men who would wear things that were a little bit flashier, but it was in fairly narrow ranges. And it wasn't really an option to say, well, my authentic self is going to be that I'm coming to work in jeans and tennis shoes and there are dress codes and there are cultures. And so some of it is also knowing, can I be authentic here? Yeah. And again, this goes to context. To your example, if I'm a single mom and my number one priority is to keep a roof over my family's head and put food on the table, I'm not going to be spending a lot of time wondering if it's okay for me to be authentic in this culture, I'm going to be focused on a very different priority. Yeah. And so to some degree, we are talking about operating in the space where you really do have choices and we all have more choices than we give ourselves credit for. It's interesting. I think back to the sherry of the skirts and the suits and the floppy ties. It's the first I've heard that. And I really want a picture now. Stay tuned, listener. Maybe we'll put a picture of sherry and a floppy tie. <laughs> little floppy bow tie. Nice little silk tie. I hear you. Yeah. So it's interesting because, okay, sure. There's Sometimes there's just a reality, right? Like we don't walk around naked on a regular basis, right? Let's, there's just sort of some societal expectations. And, you know, there are people that want to push those boundaries at times and, you know. We're not even going to get into all of that. But what's interesting is even within those constraints of you had to put on the the suit and the floppy tie and all that, what were ways that you potentially could have been expressing more authenticity, even in the context of what was expected, right? So when I think back to either the example of your client or my situation in the big company with the fancy title, it was more than that, right? It was, I wasn't allowing myself to be seen in so many ways. And I was playing almost a role as if it was, you know, a drama on TV or something and trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And so, but I think this dress thing is a great example of where to start from a small place of how could you inch in some more authenticity? It sounds like some folks wore some things that were flashier, but was that even a possibility? Well, it was in ways, again, that are very amusing in retrospect. <laughs> so you had a subset, I'm going to talk women, because there was a lot more pressure on women, right, to conform. So there were women in the firm who only wore navy, gray, and black. Wow. And then there were a group of us that, and you're going to laugh, but like I had a red suit, I had <laughs> a pale blue suit. I had a peach colored (laughs) suit. And so, you know, we would express ourselves in our shoes sometimes. They were still pumps, Mm -hmm. but we would express ourselves in our shoes. But there were women who would be like, oh, no, 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 no. Right. If you ever really want to be taken seriously and put on a partner track, you should only be wearing your navy gray and black suits. Well, that's interesting how often we ourselves may have a little bit of this fear that we're talking about, whether it's suits or not showing up as who we truly are somewhere in between. And then there are often people that are, you know, sort of standing on the sidelines 
nudging us in one direction or the other, usually not in the most helpful way, right? So in this case, you had senior women, it sounds like, telling you you had to wear dress a certain way in order to, to be on the partner track. Some of these were junior women as well. They had very much assimilated this. And for some of them, that was authentic for them. That is how they were truly most comfortable. Sure. Right? And I just think dress is an easy way to talk about it. But it's in other ways as well, in sharing a thought that's a little different than what the prevailing quote unquote wisdom is. Yeah. And so we're talking about this, but let's talk a little bit about why this is important. Yeah. You know, because it's really not just authenticity for authenticity's sake. That's right. I really believe that us being able to tap into who we authentically are And as you said, that's probably a whole other episode of really getting to know ourselves. But we can feel it. We can feel when we're not sort of showing up as who we truly are on the inside. But it's so important because it's really about connection to other people. I mean, I'll tell you back, back to my story of fancy company, fancy title. Like I was thinking about it the other day. I did not leave with a bunch of great friends from that experience because they didn't get to know who Anne really was. And so it was a barrier to really deepening in connection with other people because they, they couldn't see me because I didn't let them. Right. And so it's, it's so important to at least let some folks in to see the real you in order to to really create that deep connection, which is a huge part of life and enjoying our lives, right? Right. And it's part of what this whole podcast is about is our perfectly imperfect journeys to a fulfilled life is it's really hard to truly feel fulfilled with your life if you aren't being truly who you are and allowing yourself to own that this is who I am. And that can really end up feeling like a little piece of your soul is being stolen. That's right. I remember so distinctly in that job being exhausted all the time. And I think it's because I was so busy trying to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. And I and I think about more marginalized groups that this ends up being sort of reality just of walking out the door in the morning, right? If I needed to hide my sexuality or if the color of my skin or the kinkiness of my hair were sort of a barrier to being seen as professional in some ways, like I'm starting before I even get out of bed in the morning, I'm already starting kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. And yet, I mean, I do feel like we're opening up as a society more and more to be more accepting. Mm-hmm. And yet we still have pockets where, you know, I just can't even imagine how difficult it can be for some people to even show up at work in the morning, right? Right. And so there's those barriers. And then there's the things that are probably common denominators for people across the board and, and with regards to, well, I'm, I'm expected to be a certain way at work. I'm, I'm expected to show up a certain way at this event or this party or I, act in a particular way in order to be acceptable in whatever the situation. The problem is, is you get out of alignment with who you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you've said, you don't do your best work. And this makes me think about my friend Suzanne, who Mm. is this absolutely brilliant, creative woman who is a software architect and spent almost her whole career up until the last like three or four years, molding herself to the expectation, whether it was true or not, but the expectation that software architects know everything. This is what they do. They look at the whole Mm. system. And so to ask a question that suggests there's something you don't understand would cause others to lose respect for you. Wow. She went through much of her career really holding that perspective. 
And when she was doing her most recent job search, which, like I said, was three or four years ago, she made the really courageous decision to be fully authentic in her next job. And Mm -hmm. to your point about fear, it really was a courageous decision because she had a lot of fear around it. And yet, like, if if you think back, and I don't know, Suzanne, but if you think back to all the greatness that probably was missed because she had an idea or a different way of thinking about things, but because her own definitions or the definitions of the places where she was working, it wasn't okay or it wasn't acceptable. Think of all the great stuff that not only her own fulfillment, but also that the company or the product also probably missed because she wasn't asking the questions. For sure. And so I asked her, well, what did it mean to really show up and be authentic. And I loved her answer, which was it meant for her to follow her curiosity wherever it took her. And those were her exact words, that no question would be off limits for her. Wow. Any question that came up, she would follow her curiosity. And oh my God, it has made such a huge difference. Because again, when I asked her about this and I asked her what difference did it make, her answer was she's had a greater impact There's been a lot more learning and growth for her, more intellectual satisfaction, and she has enjoyed her job so much more. And then I asked her what cost it came with Mm -hmm. when she wasn't doing this before. And her answer was, she played small. Those were her words. She played Mm. small, which limited her own growth and her own learning and kept her from truly doing her best work, which is really what you described yourself as like putting on this suit. Yeah. No, it's so true. And I think when we are put in that position, you know, whether we do it ourselves or it feels put upon and in Suzanne's story and maybe somewhat my story, it it was both. It was both myself and it was fancy company and fancy title. To go back to something you already said, it steals a little part of your soul, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I was trying to be somebody I wasn't or be the version of me that I thought that they wanted or dealing with the imposter syndrome or whatever, it becomes this terrible self-fulfilling prophecy that you actually become the thing you're trying to avoid. And I'll just be really honest. I was not successful at that company. It was not my best work at all because they didn't really get me. They didn't get the stuff that I like to bring. They didn't get the excitement, the curiosity, the questions, the, I don't understand, but by me asking that question, it, it really facilitates other people sort of showing up and either being able to help or say, I don't either. Right. And I really think this idea of playing small that Suzanne called it is right on the money that we get put in these positions or we put ourselves in these positions that we, we just never feel fulfilled or, or successful. Right. And so I mean, this sounds like a terrible place to live and I'm getting a little bummed out even thinking about it, but it, it's a reality of, you know, and, and it probably goes in and out. It's not for all of us, right? It's not like, oh, I was never myself. I never was truly showing up as who I authentically am. And there's always more of yourself that you can bring, right? Even when you do think you're being super authentic and, you know, maybe you don't need to bring all of it all of the time, but you, it's sort of situation sort of specific and appropriate. And yet, What we do know is when we don't allow those pieces that are important to us to really come forth, we're not giving in the same way that we would like to. Our contributions are much smaller or different than we would like them to be. There's a part of it that is just sad on what everybody else misses out on, right? So there's the piece on 
it's much harder to really be fulfilled. And it could be just in one part of your life, right? That you're totally authentic in these other parts of your life. And it's just one part of your life. And, you know, it's not an all or nothing proposition, but it it is so unfortunate that the rest of the world misses out, Yeah, which is what you're describing in that one job around you didn't bring the best parts of you. That's right. You know, which also then gets into the importance of recognizing this is not an environment where what I bring to the table is going to be valued. I had one of those Mm. jobs where it was apparent to me pretty early on that the culture here, they value different things. And it wasn't bad, right? It wasn't like, oh my God, this place is so messed up. It was just that, oh, what I think I really bring to the table that's just not really highly valued here. Mm. I still stayed longer than I should have, but it was a really good experience for me to be faced with the question of what does it really mean then to be in an environment, to be in a culture where I really can't thrive in a way that I would feel like I was thriving. Right. So it sort of begs the question, when is it me and when is it the situation that I'm in? And, and it's probably not black and white right? It's probably a combination at times. In the situation you're referencing, it sounds like you did some reflection and sort of came up with the fact like, this isn't right for me actually, but it's probably not a hundred percent black and white all of the time. And so I'm curious, I'd love to know, Cher, if you've, you know, you've been coaching for so long in your career. I'm, I'm wondering if you have any tools or practices that you can think of that would help any one of us that are kind of in the situation, like, how do we start to figure out, am I being authentic or, you know, do I have the opportunity? Is it me? Is it them? Is it a combination? Right. What's worked for you in your practice? So like so many things, I think it starts with becoming more aware of where you may be shoving a part of yourself down. Cause sometimes we're not even conscious of it, right? right? Sometimes we're fully conscious of it and sometimes we're not. And so one of my favorite places to start with somebody is around doing a bit of a brain dump of what are the things that float around in your mind around I could never or I would never, and to not worry about which is which, right? But sometimes we think about them differently. Well, I could never, and therefore it's out of my control, right? or I would never. But I think for this, it's not even important to differentiate. And to just start with just a brain dump of here's my list of things of I would never or I could never, and then to start paying attention. So for instance, like Suzanne would have said, I could never ask questions of something that somebody expected I already had the answer to. Correct. Right? That would have been her could or would never. Absolutely. And I think she would have said it was both. I think if she reflected on it, she would have said, yeah, I don't think I could ever, but even if I technically could, I wouldn't. Right. Because I wouldn't be comfortable taking the risk right. that somebody would think I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And so it's a really interesting place to just start with raising your awareness on where are all these places and to especially pay attention to some of the smaller ones. Yeah. Right. So let's simplify this a little bit for our listeners. What so my suggestion would be that you come up with a list of three to five I would never, I could never statements. And then start to really think about those and question them. So what would be the next step once I've identified kind of a a list of a few things? So I think a really good question to then ask yourself on each of them is something along the lines of, how do I actually know this to be true? 
Yeah. So for listeners that have know anything about Byron Katie, this would be a good place to apply some of her work, right? So is it really true that I could never ask a question that somebody would have assumed that I knew the answer to already? Is that true? Mm-hmm. And then it sort of sounds like once you start to go down that path a little bit, you can get to the point of what would it be like if that wasn't true? Right. I think that one's great. What would it be like if it if it wasn't true? And it can also be really helpful to look at it and say, what is one area of my life where the stakes are so low? What if I just practiced? Mm. Right. What if I just picked something suit? Because, you know, I'm all about the really low stakes stuff when there's really no downside. It's just about getting uncomfortable. Yeah. Is like, where is one little place? Is there a meeting with just your peers? Or if this is happening in a personal relationship, Mm. is it something you could test out with your best friend or somebody you really trust? So it's really starting to get more clarity on what are these stories that I keep telling myself about what I would or could never. And then what are some really tiny little ways I could show up that way? You know, and Suzanne's not here, but if we tease her story all the way through that she could practice with a friend asking what we might call the dumb questions, Mm -hmm. right? And then maybe she expands it to a small group of people. Then maybe, you know, over a series of, over some time, maybe Mm -hmm. then she starts practicing at work. And it sounds like she just made the decision to just go ahead and do it. But if she was trying to do this practice that you're suggesting that she could start in these very small ways and then build from there to kind of build the muscle a little bit, if you will. I love that. Yeah. And it really builds on itself. So again, we should just have Suzanne on and (laughs) let her tell her whole story because it's just such an amazing story. But I mean, and she would say that with each question she asked, it got easier because nothing bad happened, right? That's the thing is most of the time it's nobody else thinks it's even that big a deal. That's right. You know, it reminds me of Brene Brown's definition of authenticity, which is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, and the choice to let our true selves be seen. And it's that every day, those small decisions, right? That's exactly what you're talking about. Right. Right. Because when you can focus on the tiny little choices, it's so much easier than trying to do some big old leap of faith. That's right. Sometimes that's called for, but most of the time it's the tiny little decisions. Right. And it's the easier way than sort of cold turkey jumping into the right. the, the deep end of the pool. But I just love that definition because authenticity is all those decisions that we make every yep. day. And then right. and that I'm I'm choosing to show up as who I truly am. And you know, she goes on to really talk about this idea of authenticity being the antidote to shame. And if you think about my story and my situation, I, I had shame. I, you know, I really didn't think I was good enough. I, I thought these people were smarter than me. I thought that they'd made a huge mistake by putting me into this job. And so had I had a little bit more skill here, had we been ha- having this authenticity discussion back then, I think about could I have been making some of these small decisions, the small choices in the way I showed up? on regular basis that then built up to take it or leave it. This is who I truly, truly am. Right, right. Well, in the spirit of if we were having that authenticity conversation back then, (laughs) you know, we've been asking all of our guests if Mm. they could go back in time, what is one thing they would say to their younger self? And we've never asked each other 
that question. But I think Mm. this conversation about authenticity is a wonderful place for us to think about if you could go back in time, what would you say to your younger self about being authentic and making the choice to show up and be real? You know, maybe it's just because we've been primed through this discussion we've been having today. But for me, it really just is about, you know, break some rules. Like, don't adhere to what somebody else says you need to do or to be. And and P.S., they're all worried about their own stuff anyway. So I, I think the advice would be to laugh more, play more. Don't worry about what other people are saying or doing because they've got their own stuff to worry about. Somebody gave me some advice that would have been great to have gotten when I was a kid. And and that was, there's three kinds of business. There's my business, your business, and God's business. And just realize whose business that you're in. And so much of authenticity for me is being in somebody else's business instead of being in my own business. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. And worrying that somebody else is like getting in your business too. That's right. Right? Yeah, I love that. If I could go back, I'm just imagining myself as this little six or seven year old Mm. and saying to her, your life isn't going to be defined by what other people think of you and by what other people expect of you. You don't need to try so hard as you get older to try to be what other people want you to be. Mm. And much like you, it would be don't worry so much. Just relax. It's really all going to be okay. And there isn't the possibility of there being another you, just like there isn't the possibility of there being another anybody. So just embrace being you. That's right. Yeah. God, I love that. It reminds me of the Carl Jung quote that is, the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. And what an amazing thing. Right. So what I'd love to do is leave our listeners with a little bit of homework. So Sherry shared a great exercise to help us get to some more authenticity. Then maybe for each of you to really reflect on this question as well. Is there something you might whisper in your younger self's ear if you could? And is that some advice you could take for yourself today? So on that note, I think we'll wrap up our episode for today. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life. 